0: or online at victoriasecret.com.
3: Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio.
4: Welcome to Criminalia, where it's pirate season. We're exploring the lives and motivations of some of the most notorious freebooters throughout history. I'm Maria Tremarki.
3: And I'm Holly Fry. Mary Wolverston, Lady Killigrew, was an English noblewoman, but she was also a pirate, and it is for that which she was eventually accused and convicted. That's a whole complicated story. (laughs) Mary was born into an aristocratic family around 1525, possibly a few years prior. The exact date is lost to the ages, as is often the case. She was the daughter of Philip Wolverston of Wolverston Hall in Suffolk. Now, if you go looking... This is different from the school and event space called Wolverstone Hall in Suffolk that has two O's and ends in an E. That wasn't built until the 1770s, just to avoid any confusion, since that is a more well-known place. But back to Mary. So her father, Philip, was a wealthy man who practiced piracy, earning himself the nickname the Gentleman Pirate. This was a term for wealthy landowner-turned-pirates, but Don't get confused with Stade Bonnet, who we've talked about a little bit before, who was famously known as the Gentleman Pirate, again, a couple hundred years later in the 18th century.
4: So we know about Mary's father, but then we have a pretty good gap between Mary's childhood and when we pick her story back up in her adulthood. We know she was married to a man named Henry Nyvet, whom she was widowed. We know that she then married Sir John Killigrew IV, and depending on the record you look at, the couple had at least one son and possibly as many as five children. There was actually one source that I saw that had them with ten children. This is really where Mary's story begins, in Cornwall with the Killigrews.
3: So we have talked at great length this season about how it can be really difficult to narrow down the details of a person's life when you're looking back nearly 500 years. The National Endowment for the Humanities has this great quote about basically what we have all learned about pirates so far this season, and that is, a lot of what is known about pirates is not true, and a lot of what is true is not known. Mary gets caught right up in that. There is information about her. She's not a complete blank slate, but the story of her life is often confused or blurred with another woman named Elizabeth. So,
4: who is this Elizabeth? One of two things going on here. One theory is that Mary began using the name Elizabeth in the later years of her life, which, sure, maybe, that doesn't always make sense when you read her histories. To confuse things even more, there was also an Elizabeth Killigrew, the wife of John Godolphin and daughter of John Killigrew. But, these people lived at the beginning of the 16th century, not during the same time as Mary. The primary explanation here is that she's been confused with her mother-in-law, who is another Elizabeth, and sometimes their stories, or at least parts of their stories, are told as if these women were actually the same person.
3: All of this means a few things for us in regard to Mary's story. Although there is some uncertainty about what the women's roles were in the family piracy business, and there are definitely some inaccuracies about Mary's life, it is certain that Mary... Kind of had piracy flowing through her veins.
4: So Mary is a really interesting lady, and we'll set our scene for Lady Killigrew right now. You may know the opera The Pirates of Penzance. In Cornwall, there's real piracy there and it's been for centuries. Mostly it was smuggling, though, and that was especially profitable. The coast of Cornwall in southwest England is rocky, with many coves, inlets, and other secluded and sheltered spots for ships to hide in, which is perfect for those who want to practice
3: piracy. Because of that, this area was notorious for pirate activity. The Carters, which was another long-standing Cornish family, ran a smuggling operation and carried on their affairs out of three small coves. Bessie's Cove, Piskey's Cove, and Port Lea, known today as Prussia Cove. Coves are, of course, attractive to pirates because they are challenging to access. So the Carters built their houses above those coves, and each of those houses were connected to the coves below through secret underground passageways. Which sounds pretty cool.
4: Mary married into the Killigrew family, who were also long established in Cornwall, and a family who were also successful pirates. The Killigrews were wealthy and well-connected. John's mother, Elizabeth, was a relative of the statesman William Cecil. William Cecil, 1st Baron Burghley, was the chief advisor to Queen Elizabeth I and whom she considered her most important minister for 40 years. He was Lord High Treasurer and twice Secretary of State.
3: So we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor... And when we return, we'll be talking about when, why, and how the Killigrew family became so very powerful.
1: Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply.
3: This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable, and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions, and I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past, and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit SimplySafe.com slash Criminalia. That's Simply Safe dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older at <laughs> that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash Criminalia for 10% off your first order.
0: Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles like the made-to-be-seen very sexy push-up bra from the Very Sexy Collection in on-trend hues like black shine, green, and citron. And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with a limited edition bombshell escape fragrance, a free spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com.
1: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future.
4: Let's talk about how Mary's husband, John, was a pirate who became the county's pirate commissioner.
3: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) In the 1540s, Pendennis Castle was commissioned by King Henry VIII to be built on Arwenak Estate, which had long belonged to the Killigrew family. They were the second owners, technically. In the late 14th century, Simon Killigrew married Jane de Arwenak, the daughter and sole heiress of Robert de Arwinack and the Killigrew family gained the property through that marriage. They lived there for about 16 generations while they became really the most powerful family in Cornwall. But as our story takes place in the 1500s, it was still pretty early on in that occupancy, but they still had a very solid power base.
4: Mary's father-in-law, John Killigrew III, was appointed by the king as the first governor of Pendennis Castle. After his death, It was then Queen Elizabeth I who appointed his son, Sir John Killigrew IV, as second governor. A governor in this instance likely would have been a military officer who commanded the fortifications at the castle and at sea.
3: In these appointments from the queen, shipping in Carrick Road's harbor along the south coast fell under Sir John IV's control. And family connections made it really easy for John and his family to prey on the ships that came within his reach, along the county's coastline. So John was unchallenged in his jurisdiction. An unchallenged pirate. It's great. I'm the the pirate cop and the pirate. This is going to work out just fine. I'm investigating myself.
4: (laughs) Not guilty. (laughs) So um, Mary Tudor reigned as Queen of England between Henry VIII and Elizabeth I. Both John III and John IV opposed her policies. After ignoring what they didn't like, they were arrested while using their own ships to attack Spanish vessels in the English Channel. Everyone knows you don't practice piracy that close to home. They were both put in fleet prison in June of 1556 to, quote, be kept there apart in close prison. They were released after three weeks.
3: It wasn't until Queen Elizabeth I reigned that John, we're talking about the younger John, that is, was back in favor with the monarchy, and he was commissioned by her as essentially a local magistrate. That put John on the path to becoming an even greater influential figure in Cornwall.
4: Influential, yes, perhaps also notorious. John also had duties as the piracy commissioner. I know right? He, he used his position to maintain his relationships with other pirates and to trade with them. And so he could use his influence over smugglers who frequented his coastline.
3: John's trafficking with these pirates was absolutely not a secret. It was just kept quiet through bribery. Authorities had known of his operations since 1552, and despite the corrupt dealings in their favor, In 1565, commissioners were appointed to conduct a formal investigation. But these were the Killigrews, and they were very powerful. In fact, the family was powerful enough to evade all of the allegations against him.
4: It wasn't until a decade later that officials resumed their interest and wrote to him. It appears they wrote to him repeatedly, actually, about certain events they were concerned about. And that included his imprisoning a French merchant and his seizure of four ships.
3: Only once in January of 1569 can we find a record of commendation of John's behavior anywhere, and that was after he and Sir Arthur Champernon had seized Spanish silver from a vessel and conveyed it to the crown.
4: By the time Elizabeth I's reign began in 1558, piracy was already in its golden age, with thousands of pirates sailing the Atlantic and Caribbean oceans, In the name of the crown, explorers, or adventurers, or privateers, or pirates, or whatever you want to call them, it was even the Royal Navy who was involved, they were all pretty much indistinguishable from each other as they plundered their way around the world. Some were commissioned and paid for their services, but others weren't, and that was really the only difference. The British Empire had a particular interest in looting from their enemy, the Spanish, who were busy looting from what they called the New World. Today, that refers to the Western Hemisphere, in particular the Americas, and it was just new to them. All this piracy took place with the Queen's approval, or at least she turned a blind eye to it. And she did fund many commissions, so it's hard to argue that she didn't
3: know what was going on. Elizabethan authorities generally encouraged piracy because they saw it as a form of economic warfare against the country's enemies. And yes, at this time, it was mainly Spain, but it was certainly not only Spain.
4: Growing more powerful, the Killigrews rebuilt Arwinac House around 1567 to 1571-ish. It was now fortified as a stronghold, and they used it to store merchandise that they had stolen in raids from ships and coastline attacks before they could fence it. The house was described as, quote, the finest and most costly house in the country.
3: While the Killigrew family didn't always go out on raids themselves, they definitely ran a tight operation. They owned and outfitted their own ships. They assessed their own stolen goods. They took their share, gave their crews their share, and gave a percent to the Crown. Very careful with the books. They also bribed authorities, probably a line item they had allocated <laughs> funds for, <Probably. laughs> and pretty much had all of Cornwall in their pockets. There is a version of the Killigrew story that suggests Mary and John would entertain guests such as naval and other ship captains, as well as other aristocratic families, as a way to learn where to find their hidden treasures.
4: The Killigrews were known for taking care of their crews. It was not uncommon for them to invite their men at family meals in their home. They settled debt disputes. They offered protection for their crews. And one example we came across of their boundless bribery was... If one of their ships was followed by authorities, they were instructed to sail into the harbor to the Hilligrew's family home, where John would then row out and, I'm going to air quote this word, convince the officials into looking the other way.
3: Oh, I'm sure we can work something out. (laughs) Uh, We're all gentlemen here. Exactly. (laughs) Mary, however, it's said, preferred to be a little more hands-on with the family operation, and she was known to go out on raids. During storms, she would send crews out to raid ships that were driven into the harbor. She would ultimately be accused of preying on shipping vessels that passed along the coastline. She was known to cut deals with smugglers and then fence the goods. Historian Neville Williams described Mary as a, quote, tough and unprincipled businesswoman. So we're
4: going to jump into a break for a word from our sponsor. And next, let's talk about how Mary gained that description of
0: And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with a limited-edition bombshell-escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com.
1: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
2: Welcome
3: back to Criminalia. Okay, now is when we get to the moment when Mary made a big mistake.
4: So the Killigrews continued their business for decades, but their pirate empire was brought down in 1582 when Mary decided she wanted the wrong ship.
3: Okay, so this is one of those where we have multiple versions. Here's one. A Hanseatic ship sailed into the harbor during bad weather, and the crew was forced to anchor there. Two went ashore to the Killigrew estate to find shelter, and over dinner, Mary told the men that their ship would be safe if they left it in the harbor, and she suggested that they could find a place to stay through the storm in a nearby town named Penryn. There are some versions of this part of the story that suggest that the two men actually ended up staying in a guest house on the Killigrew land, but either way, they were not in for a good night.
4: The Hanseatic League, to take a moment to talk about who those men were, is a part of German history. The League became a powerful network of merchants cooperating for the promotion of their trade abroad. The allegiance included areas from the east of England to the heart of Russia. And at its peak, the League had the allegiance of nearly 200 towns across northern Europe.
3: So that night, Mary gathered a crew and they rowed out to the men's ship under the cloak of darkness. They covered their oars with cloth to muffle their noise and not draw attention to their activities. John may or may not have been part of this crew. Once on board, they overpowered any crew remaining on the ship and killed them. And they helped themselves to the booty. That seized cargo is said to have been Holland cloth or unbleached linen fabric. The crew also stole the ship, and in some versions of the story, they sailed it to Ireland. And when the two men returned the next morning, everything was gone.
4: So, of course, not only are there different versions of that first story, there is a second version of the story itself. And it goes like this. Mary and her pirate crew boarded and stole treasure from the Spanish ship, the Marie of San Sebastian, which had been anchored near the Killigrew estate. We don't know many of the details about the raid, actually, but this turned out to be Mary's final heist. Authorities arrested the group, and when the stolen goods from the ship were discovered in her home, receiving and fencing stolen goods were added to her charges. Mary, along with two members of her crew, were charged with the murder of a crewman on the Marie, and Mary was convicted and received a death sentence. So were the other two members of
5: that crew.
3: An investigation conducted by Richard Grenville II and Edmund Tremaine disclosed that Mary had recently shown lengths of Holland cloth to her domestic workers, and that one of her daughters had paid a debt with 20 yards of the unbleached linen. It's reported that John may have been summoned to appear in front of the Privy Council, although no details have survived all these years, to tell us if he really was or if there was any punishment. The Privy Council was a group of 19 powerful noblemen appointed by Elizabeth I, and they advised the Queen on both domestic and foreign affairs, such as how to handle threats and when to go to war, relations with foreign ambassadors and the like. They did not control her, but it's reasonable someone could have been called in front of them were they accused of piracy and of a high standing.
4: The executions were carried out on the crew, but Mary wasn't executed. Here's where things become a little unclear and may explain why in the first version of the story, she gets away more or less without incident. There are at least three versions of how Mary escaped the gallows. Some say her husband intervened on her behalf. Bribery, of course, we know, seems to be one of his favorite things. (laughs) Other reports suggest that it was Mary's son who bribed those who could secure her release from prison and spare her the death sentence she was facing. No big stretch on either of these. The Killigrew family had been doing this for generations, it seems. Both would be totally plausible.
3: Another version is that the men from the Hanseatic ship submitted a complaint to the Commission for Piracy in Cornwall. But guess who sat at the head of that commission at that time? That would have been Mary's son. Coincidentally, the commission couldn't figure out exactly who committed the act of piracy. Gosh, I don't know. There are no clues, y'all. Unsatisfied, those two men went higher and higher on the chain of command until their complaint reached Queen Elizabeth I herself.
4: Whether it was a Spanish ship or a Hanseatic ship, the event threatened, either way, to cause a diplomatic crisis. The monarchy encouraged piracy, but such brazen acts in English waters as Mary's raid had been couldn't be condoned. For the sake of plausible deniability, the crown preferred its pirates conduct their business away from England.
3: So... What exactly happened here? How did Mary escape being killed and executed for her crimes? Who pardoned her exactly? We found that it was most often reported that it was Queen Elizabeth I who intervened, issuing that pardon. And while we don't know what really went down to spare her life, Mary did end her piracy career. She died several years later, sometime after 1587, in Buda Cornwall.
4: And that is the life of Mary. Let's go yes. into the groggery and see what you have today.
3: Oh, Maria. You got good stuff? Uh, it <laughs> is, and it surprised me how much I liked it. And it got a thumbs up from my beloved. Who doesn't
4: really drink.
3: A, a surpriser. Yeah. yeah. So the thing that I kept thinking about, and of course, this is because I am a stitcher in my life, was that unbleached linen. Yeah. <laughs> And there is actually a drink called a white linen, which is a gin cocktail. And so thinking about the unbleached linen called it to mind. And I thought it would be fun to do a dirty version since uh, a white linen conveys like a a beautiful, clear uh, beverage to you. right? So we're doing the unbleached one. We're swapping out some of the ingredients to make it. Instead of gin, what you're going to start with is one and a half ounces of Reposado tequila. Have we used tequila before? I think once or twice, but not very often. It's not my spirit of choice. That's why it's a surprise. (laughs) Yes,
4: apparently we're starting off strong. Yeah,
3: like a good good middle grade tequila Reposado. And then an ounce of lemon juice, a half ounce of vanilla syrup. You can use simple, but I highly recommend Mm. vanilla. And I'll tell you why in a moment. A half ounce of Saint-Germain liqueur, so a little elderflower yumminess. I love that. And then in alignment with the white linen, three cucumber slices. And you're going to put all of that in your cocktail shaker. Shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. You'll have ice in there, so you want everything to get cold and incorporated. And then you will strain that. Sometimes you'll see a suggestion anytime there's a cucumber in a shaker to double strain it or strain it with like a piece of cheesecloth or something involved. So none of the seeds slip through. Oh, right. That's up to you. I don't mind yeah, them. Me neither. But I also didn't have any come through and I only strained once. And then top it with soda water. And so you get this kind of goldeny, yellowy drink, and it is complex to the palate, but delicious. And the reason why I was adamant that you use vanilla syrup here is that more than the simple syrup version, the vanilla syrup kind of cuts the legs out from under the tequila. Oh, so you don't get that bitiness right. at all you just get kind of a really full stacked set of flavors together. The tequila interacting with the Saint-Germain and the vanilla syrup does something very interesting, and it's quite lovely. Even my non-drinker husband was like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) Which I was like, that's like a five-star review from you. And he was like, Yeah. yeah, yeah. That is the unbleached linen. Now, if you want to do the mocktail, it's easy as pie. You're going to do the exact same thing. It's going to have a slightly different flavor profile, but instead of the tequila... You're going to use ginger beer because you still want to get that golden look. we all love that. (laughs) And then instead of the Saint Germain, uh, use a lavender syrup. I like the idea of a floral, but something that's not as soft as like a rose or a chrysanthemum Mm -hmm. syrup. You want the lavender. And then it makes a whole slightly different, but you still get that, whoa, there's a lot of flavors going on here, but they're playing very nicely together sensation. And that is a very refreshing drink. I'm almost a little late in the season for it like that would be a great mid-July yeah luncheon kind of beverage a little refreshing it's really yeah. nice so that's the unbleached linen I'm gonna tell you now so far of the ones we've done this season this is my second favorite is it we'll see when we get to the to the, the end the last episode where we do <laughs> review if it stays there but right now that's where it's sitting to my own shock because it's tequila it's tequila Uh, and there I was glug 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 (laughs) Um, (laughs) but uh, the ginger the ginger beer version is also very very nice I hope that you try this have a little unbleached linen of your own to enjoy and we hope that we will also see you back here next week for more piracy here on Criminalia Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health.